2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul has said that uh, he had determined not to come to them anymore. He wasn't going to, he had made attempts, and uh, here he's going to give us uh, some explanation as to what his thinking is. It's not to say, I'm not coming, uh, but the idea of uh, how they were in need of correction, and he sent the letters. Uh, and there's been some grief and conflict over that. Uh, things seem to be getting sorted out, sorted out at the Church of Corinth, uh, mostly because uh, people are leaving. Uh, you know, those that are in opposition to him and creating the trouble are, are finding themselves in uh, other groups of fellowship, and uh, the Church at Corinth is sort of settling down. There are a number of things that he's going to address, but he gives explanation here about what he meant by, you know, he determined uh, not to come to them anymore. He says in verse one, but I determined within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Uh, for if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes you glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So, He's been in conflict with them, and uh, there's been a lot of back and forth and a lot of stern correction, and uh, he's come to the place where uh, you know, if he's going to visit with them, he wants it to be pleasant. Uh, you know, enough has been said uh, of correction at this point uh, that he doesn't want to continue that anymore. As far as... Uh, you know the inter the actual interaction because beginning here in chapter two he starts this tremendous defense of his uh, own person and his apostleship again and that carries on actually uh, through much of the rest of this book so the conflicts are still there and this necessity for correction is still there. It's the, but it's just the idea of you don't have to be concerned that if I'm coming, it's going to be some heavy-handed thing. I'm done with that. I've said what needed to be said. So uh, verse 3, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. And we, I want the fellowship to be a celebration rather than some kind of, uh, you know, depressive sort of experience. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that, sh that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So the, the expression that uh, he had communicated heavy-handed things to them and was profoundly brokenhearted over it, you know, much crying, the clarification that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't uh, crying of anger, it wasn't crying of, uh, you know, outright brokenheartedness as, as much as it was love that compelled him to have a passioned urgency in his writing. So he's, he's going to great efforts to explain himself, <clears throat> his reasoning and his behavior, so that they have, you know, have, you know, people misinterpret everything. When, when there's friction, 
when when it's just letters, when it's just emails or text messages, uh, you can say the kindest thing. They put the wrong tone on it and turn it into something, uh, you know, that wasn't there. You know, you shoot somebody who's upset with you a message and just say, hey, how's it going? You know, on their end, they get, hey, how's it going? You know, they, they're, they're thinking something, adding to it that wasn't there. So he's putting a lot of effort into explanation, and he's going to continue to, which... Yeah, if you uh, look at it, you, you know, almost left with the idea of we don't need to know all of this. Well, I mean, uh, one more time, this is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going through this great process with this church and with us to show all that's behind what Paul is doing, uh, that his behavior and conduct. Why? Because he was harsh, okay? And when we're harsh, people often associate that with sinfulness. They associate it with wrong. They associate it with bad behavior, uh, anger. Paul is clarifying, hey, none of that was present. You know, you guys were in trouble spiritually. Uh, I'm like a father to you spiritually. I'm concerned for you. I'm writing you letters that, yes, they're heavy-handed, but it's from the perspective of me being impassioned for your spiritual health. So, uh, you know, not that it was uh, to be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Verse 5, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. So um, he's referencing uh, the person, and we'll see him get more and more clear about this, that he had told them to put that person out of fellowship. And uh, bluntly stated in 1 Corinthians, he tells us, that the man was in sexual sin with his own stepmother. And uh, they were proud of it. And Paul gives the firm correction to those that are supposed to be in leadership of you're wrong for tolerating this. You know, you guys think you're awesome for being a bunch of liberals that are allowing this sin to be in the church uh, when it needs stern correction. And in fact, put that man out of the church. And he even goes as far as saying, you know, turn him over to the devil that his body would be destroyed. I mean, what if I looked you in the face and said, you know, I hope your body is destroyed. Hey, that's a harsh thing, right? This is why Paul's going through such effort to explain what his motivation is. Because he gives the clarification of, you turn him over to the devil that his body would be destroyed, that his soul would be saved. You know, for whatever suffering a person might experience here on earth, in the end, if it results in eternal life, then you can say it was worth it. If, if they weren't going to have it beforehand, and they go through whatever tremendous extent they do, and then they experience eternal life, well, the suffering was worth it in the process. And, and Paul is, is giving that. Now here, you know, if anybody there caused me grief, I'm not concerned about that. You know, if there's somebody there, I'm not, 
you know, making a list, uh, you know, and and making sure I know who the bad guys are. I, I'm not uh, concerned with that. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. Notice that he doesn't say this punishment was in, which was inflicted by all of you, right? Because there wasn't a consensus in the church. Uh, you know who inflicted this punishment? The ones that were right. <laughs> the ones that were wrong weren't part of inflicting the punishment. You know, Paul is making clear distinctions. You know, you get the mentality in our culture, like everybody's opinion matters. No, it really doesn't. There are a whole bunch of people that are involved in the church today who are incredibly immature, incredibly sinful, incredibly worldly, incredibly ungodly. We don't need to be concerned about their opinion whatsoever. You know, we, we, this is a perfect time for this. We're, we're going through COVID-19, all of these governmental restrictions, and we're hearing, oh, well, this Christian organization doesn't give approval of this type of gathering or that type of whoop de do. You know, who cares whether they approve of it or not? I'm looking straight into the scripture and seeing what Jesus Christ Himself has called us to do. That's what I'm concerned about following. You know, I'll remind us once again you have the rebellion that occurs with Korah under Moses, and Moses has the audacity to stand up and say, hey, if you want to be on God's side, come over here and stand with me. <laughs> In our modern understanding, that's really arrogant. Except Moses is right. And the ground opens up and swallows all of the people who opposed Moses in the process. So, you know, here he's saying, you know, there was a majority that understood what I was saying and dealt this discipline, and that's sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Now, there is that uh, legalism in the letter that Paul's letter of the law that's going to, he's going to talk about that really doesn't produce the repentance that we want to see in a person's life. And Paul is here saying, look, you, you delved out the discipline, and from what is said, the man repented. Restore him. It, it's been sufficient. You don't want to, you know, affix the scarlet letter to that person so that from that point forward, uh, they go around and... and have to wear the cloud of rejection and judgment. You know, there there are those perhaps even watching online who, you know, a handful of years ago got really angry with me uh, because I put a man out of this church. And uh, you know, they're, you know, coming to me in their immaturity telling me, "Oh, you're wrong. And you should have done this and you should have done." They don't no idea what's going on. You know, this man is purchasing drugs, you know, hardcore illicit drugs and using them in the home of 
one of the leaders of this church who had been gracious enough to give him a place to stay while their children are present. There's things they don't know, things they don't need to know that, you know, once I start delving out correction, oh, well, there's suddenly their opinion matters like they get to, you know, cast their vote. No. There's leadership within this church and we understand what's going on and we got to make the calls and we got to live with the concept. Oh, well, you're, you know, holding the, him, you know, a scarlet letter. No, we were asking him to repent. You know, he's the one who's telling all the people here, oh, I have repented while simultaneously he's online trying to buy drugs on Facebook. No, how about we just let the leadership of the churches handle the discipline and trust, right? Trust that what God is doing in the midst is exactly what needs to happen. You know, if that man tonight is watching online, he still needs to repent. Still needs to stop these things. Still needs to turn his life over to Christ. And guess what? The moment he does... I'll be first in line to welcome him into the fellowship of Christ and even the fellowship of this congregation. When the repentance comes, Paul is here saying, you've got a man engaged in sin. I sent the corrective letter. The majority of the mature amongst you understood, did what was necessary. He repented. Joyful occasion. Restore him back to fellowship so that his sorrow doesn't overwhelm him. You don't have to then have him, you know, crawl into the church every time he shows up. Experience the joy with them. Restore them, right? Why? Because you were such a dirtbag at some point. Every one of us was in that loathsome place where we we were an enemy of God. And oh, didn't he embrace us once we repented? And shouldn't we embrace those who repent? and willfully, physically wrap our arms around them and welcome them back in. Pull them back in. Help them shed their guilty conscience. Help them shed the burden of their sin and their behavior. This is what the church is supposed to do. You get the impression from certain people within the church, like, no, just don't bother them. Let them stay right within the church. Wouldn't that be more comfortable? Yeah, for people that don't like confrontation, but it lets the cancer grow in the midst. Not, not just us, right? That person has to sit there in their self-deception as they march steadily towards judgment. I don't want that for anybody. I want to see them come to Christ. I want to see them experience the joy and the fulfillment in their lives. I don't want them swallowed up with sorrow, but there has to be repentance in the process. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Right? Hear, hear Paul. Do you hear what I'm saying in Paul's voice here? Or maybe you hear my, Paul's voice in what I'm saying? You know, embrace them. Reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Think about that. I told you to put that guy out of the church, turn him over to the devil, his body would be destroyed because I wanted to see what you were going to do. I wanted to see, I wanted to see the division it was going to cause in your midst. Right? When you don't know who's on the right side of things, 
Let's throw a circumstance like that in their midst, into their fellowship, into their congregation, and see how they handle it. It'll instantly boil the junk right to the surface, and you can just skim it off and let the thing be purified. So you know, here, restore him. That test was to see if you were going to be obedient. Now, whom you forgave anything, I also forgave. So he broadens it to you know, whoever might have been involved in the greater picture of that one individual circumstance. If you guys have sorted through it and you're forgiving to a number of people surrounding that circumstance, so am I. Uh, forgiveness is what we're aiming at. Forgiveness for the purpose of restoration. You know, rejection of the church, putting someone else, is always supposed to be motivated by restoration. That you would be ready to bring them back in. That, that's the place to begin. So Paul is saying, I forgive them also. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ. Oh, you didn't get a letter from me? You didn't, you didn't get a specific approval of restoration from me? I've already been in the presence of the Lord about this, and now I'm writing it to you so that you will know that I agree with you in that. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The division, the sin, the corruption that would come. Paul's saying, I'm not unaware of that. I'm completely aware of that. And, and if you have come to the place of restoration and forgiveness, then we're on the same page, is what Paul is saying to them. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Remember how we talked about Paul stepping through the open door into Macedonia and the, the great ministry opportunities that he had there. He, he's a guy who looks for open doors of opportunity. When the doors are closing, he packs his junk and he moves on. He, he's not the one that's going to stand there with a battering ram and try to you know, perform ministry in a particular community or group. If, if the open door of opportunity opens up, he's quick to step through that and see that work done you know he makes a statement here i had no rest in my spirit because i did not find titus my brother but taking my leave of them i departed for macedonia so you know gets to troas expecting to find titus no titus you know communication uh, at this point travels you know the, the fastest it travels is at the speed of horseback you know uh, it's, it's mostly by foot, by sail. You know, there's no sending out a text message. There's no se sending letters is unpredictable. You know, your, your letter might sink with the ship that it was, you know, on, or at least get washed away in the sea, direct communication. So he leaves. Why? Because he doesn't want to minister alone. Jesus sends them out two by two, you know, uh, those groups that go out together, start ministry, start church. You don't see a lot of promotion in the scripture of you know the lone wolf ministry, the single individual who's out there. Even when you pour through the Old Testament prophets, you find who was their servant and who were they attached to and who were they discipling and who were the schools of ministry they were engaged with. 
You know, they're around people. They're doing things. You run into people and begin to recognize uh, there's no accountability here. This person is not attached to anyone. There's no one of ultimate authority over them. Uh, there's some concern there. Paul shows up in Troas, wants to do ministry, had expected to do ministry with Titus. Titus is not there. He doesn't stay long there. He goes to where he knows Titus was last, where Macedonia. There's uh, a good admonition in that. Verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I have a really low sense of smell. Um, I, my my wife is constantly having to correct me and guide me and just, you know, I I, uh, I recently um, painted uh, our bathroom floor in preparation for tile that we're going to be laying down and we got this uh, one part epoxy right and I'm like, you know, that's cool. It'll seal that floor up like real tight. You know, that means it's. You know, going to be the subfloor. So let's just paint this whole thing. I paint the whole thing out. I'm happy as a clam. About days later, Lori's talking about the stench. And I'm like, what stench? And she's like, you know, that paint that you use, it's the same paint that you have on the floor at the church. And I'm saying, well, yeah, but the, I mean, the, there's no odor. And she's saying, oh, no, there's an odor. There's still an odor at the church. And I'm saying, no, there isn't. And we go, oh, and then a whole bunch of people are informing, yeah, no, that paint does have an odor. So now there's a whole bunch of nice air fresheners around here that smell like, you know, apple spice. The, the fragrance, right, the fragrance of Christ in this preaching comes from the triumph. Oh, isn't it a downer to be around somebody who's always defeated? They're a believer, but they're always defeated. It just, it, that is, you just like, you know, you got a particular brand of Eeyore Christian that just woes me, you know, <clears throat> not, not much victory, you know, just right for not much of a Christian. You know, that's their attitude all the time. Listen, Christ never fails, right? We can say that without question. Well, if Christ lives in us, then his victory should be seen in us. We're going to have our moments of defeat, but we need to quickly remember and we need to quickly remind one another that Christ is victorious. So, okay, you lost. You failed. You, you, you just proved to the whole world, once again, you're a loser. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a band. Uh, some of their early 80s stuff was, you know, just sort of screaming rock and roll called Holy Soldier. Uh Later, they toned things way down and changed their sound. And there's an album called uh, Promised Man. And they, they have a song that's Jesus is for Losers. And the point is, you are a loser. And if you'll understand you're a loser and you'll allow Christ to work in your life, then you can have victory. You know, so you figured it out. You're a loser. Good. Don't have to be Christ living in you and what that creates around us. My wife is a, I just keep talking about you today. She's a hopeless optimist. It, it, it just doesn't matter how bad it is. You know what I'm saying? 
All the wheels have fallen off. It caught on fire. It burned to the ground, consumed half the forest right next door to it. And she's like, yes, but good things are going to come out of it. You know, like, really? Wow. I just, you know, I'm going to be sweeping the ashes up from this wreckage for months. And she's like, I know, but it clears the way for so many good things to happen. Like, you're hopeless. Why? Because she is, uh, you know, emanating what Christ is saying to her and doing in her, in her life. Yeah, that's a good, contagious thing to have, that diffusing of the knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To the one where the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Christ uh, working in us produces life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of of God in Christ. This peddling that uh, is implied here, uh, the Greek language does a wonderful job of painting the picture regarding deception, the peddling. You know, there is the monetary gain that's being implied. Paul's like, we're not in this for money. That's that's a a big portion of what he's saying right there. We're, We're not here you know, you know, trying to sell our wares. Uh, we're, we're here with the truth in hand, which is the fragrance and beauty of Christ, which is being dispersed to anyone who would receive it. You know, yeah, some people consider it death. That's because they're dying. They don't find any joy in it. For those of us that are being saved, that are, are experiencing life, uh, what we have to share is leading to life and producing, it's producing life. Okay, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the ministry that I, several that I work with, but a couple that I, uh, you know, CRD uh, for those that struggle with addiction, another one, a pure life ministry for people that struggle with sexual addiction down in uh, Kentucky. They got a great residential program there. Uh, there, uh daily podcast i say daily their podcast i don't know if it's daily but their podcast is is, uh, called purity for life and um you know talking to some people uh, they have the the thought and the impression like oh that's uh talking about um you know the idea of you know purity for the rest of your life yeah sure but it's also talking about the fact that impurity produces death and pure, purity produces life. Purity for life. You know, what Christ is doing in our midst, what Christ is doing in our lives is leading to life. It's producing life. So the message that Paul is bringing to a church that has struggled to accept him, struggled to accept his message, uh, he's saying, you know, we're the aroma of Christ, and those that will embrace it, it leads to life and more life. And producing more life. You know, the living produce living, right? Jesus uh, saying to that young man who said, Oh, I gotta first, I gotta go bury my father. He said, Let the dead take care of the dead. You know, we need to take care of the living, is the contrast. 
do that. Keep that in mind when you're struggling to minister to people who don't want to accept your message. You know, those that you're, you're just sort of constantly battering your message into their mind, into their life. The open door of opportunity, the open heart of reception, the one that would receive life and then produce life uh, with the reaction to it. You know, Christ is the one who did it. We're not here, uh, you know, peddling this. This isn't some trickery that uh, we're engaged in, that, that we're participating in. And of course, we've talked about it a couple times recently, the word sincerity is there. Uh, you know, one more time, that explanation of uh, meaning without wax. Uh, the root word of sincerity uh, has the idea of being exposed by light. And the uh, potters of the day would fashion a vessel, and if it cracked in the drying or in the firing process of the kiln, uh, the dishonest potters had a method where they would mix uh, clay or clay dust with wax, and then they would pack it into the break so that you would never know that it was there. And the idea is that if you held it up to the light and you turned it, you would eventually see where the light was shining through the wax. So uh, insincere meant that it had wax in it. Sincere means without wax or exposed by light. You would be able to see uh, the um, deception in particular. Uh, hence, Paul using this idea of peddling, right? You know, you, you know, my my wife um, happens to have a, a piece of red amber on that we bought when we were on a missions trip in Poland, and uh, you know, that's a that's a, a beautiful piece of jewelry that uh, she was. You know, relatively inexpensive, but really uh, beautiful. They do a bunch of work there uh, with uh, the yellow amber and with the red amber. Um, th there are people there that put together pieces which are made from plastic, and and it looks like the amber. Okay, and, and you know the uh, guys that are selling the good stuff. Uh, have ways to show you how the light passes through the real amber and, you know, what is quality, uh, what is uh, versus uh, the fake stuff. And they will talk about how, oh, yeah, those guys are just out peddling their wares. You know, the fake. You know, you, you get the sense you're being ripped off. that Someone's taking advantage of you. Paul's saying that's not what we're doing. It's sincere. It's real. We're not peddling anything. So, uh, yeah, we got time. Let's go right into chapter 3. So he says, uh, uh, yeah, well, well, how about we just go with my audio? So, okay. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. 
the again argument uh, has come that Paul is not a real apostle that uh, he's you know not one of the 12 that Jesus chose originally and sweep all of that aside Paul has brought these people in Corinth to he's brought the knowledge of Christ to them he's brought the conversion to the faith to them he's led them he's taught them he's grown them up in the faith to the place where they are a direct result of his handiwork and his ministry. Who cares if he's got a letter of commendation from, did James actually, you know, give you a seal of endorsement? Do you have a certificate that you, you know, carry with you, hang on your wall? Uh, I, I mean, it's comedy. Uh, the the ways that people sling that stuff around today, you know, they they've got a you know a, a certain degree, they've got a certain certificate, they've got a certain you know ordination. Uh, you know, I, I had I think I've shared this before. There was a, a person that came here years ago and literally had a badge uh, of a, a ministry badge. You know that that. They had received from an organization that, that had their credentials, you know, a certificate, their photograph, and the other side, literally a badge. Like I, that, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And I asked midway through the conversation, like, where'd you get that? And they told me, I went and looked it up online, and basically for 35 bucks, anybody can get it. You know, you, you can, yeah, like you guys are all going, I want one. You know what I'm saying? Just, just. Able to flip that bad boy out, and you know, <clears throat> they, they've got a series of questions, and it's pretty lengthy that you have to answer, you know, about your doctrine. But what I discovered in the end is whatever you put in there is satisfactory. It doesn't, they don't have like, a, oh, I'm sorry, uh, your doctrine's so much different than ours that we can't possibly, you know, ordain you. You can go get the ordination and hang it on your office wall, and they even send you a badge with your photograph and your credentials. That is really weird. That is super strange that that even exists. I think it's even more strange that people take it seriously, that, that, that people are letting you through the door based upon this. How odd. You know, more often what I want to hear is, what has Christ done in your life? You know, uh, forget, I don't really care where you went to school. Forget all about that. You know, hey, you went to school? Like, awesome. You have a doctorate. Wow. Like, you're seriously disciplined. That is some neat stuff. And I'd love to learn things from that person. That, that is admirable without question. I'm not, I'm not putting that down even, even remotely. But what has Christ done in your life? Because honestly, you got that credential and Christ has done nothing in your life. Yeah, that piece of paper doesn't have much value now. You know, for the person who's been dramatically impacted by Christ and has that, oh, now you've got the dynamic combination of education with experience. Now, that is some good stuff. That's, that's a really remarkable thing. People go, you know, slapping and touting and they're putting up all their credentials and it really doesn't mean much in the kingdom of God. 
I mean, you're going to go do brain surgery. I would like to see your certificate, you know what I'm saying, before you open my skull up. I'd like to know that you've probed around inside. We were just talking, uh, Steve's, you know, looking at the state for some certification. They're doing it online, you know, and a lot of that's happening now. But, you know, I joked about, you know, you probably get, you know, your brain surgeon certificate online right now because, you know, COVID-19 is keeping everybody at home, so. You know, you just got a Dr. Frankenstein. You got to find the right victim and work on a kitchen table or something. It's 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 a weird time in the way people are, you know, getting certifications and credentials. Paul is saying you guys are our credentials. I, I don't have any certificate. The certificate of the work of Christ in my life is you guys. Why? Because I worked in your life and your lives are changed. What I delivered into your life has changed you. No one can ever take that away. Right? You work in somebody's life. You share your faith in somebody's life. You teach the word of God into somebody's life. And what that produces in their life, nobody can ever take that away. That reward is going to be waiting for you when you go stand in the presence of the Lord. You own that. You know, other people, that's exactly what's going on here is other people are coming along and trying to hijack Paul's work. They're trying to come in and say, no, no, we're actually the epistles. We're actually the authority around here. We came directly from Jerusalem. We're Jews of Jews and boy, aren't we something special. Paul's saying you're nothing because what you're doing is you're trying to build on the work that I've done in their lives. We gotta have we gotta have credentials. Are you are you guys literally asking me to send you a letter of commendation? And he even says, like others have. So apparently by this point, they've already begun some of those shenanigans. Strange. Verse four of Second Corinthians chapter three, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. There it is. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Right? Jesus says uh, to the Samaritan woman, but the people of Samaria, uh, he says uh, to them, you know, the times coming where you'll worship uh, God in spirit and in truth. Right? And there's a bunch of people within the church today who are all about truth. And don't get me wrong, we need to be about the truth, right? We need to know God's word, need to be about the truth. But they don't have the spirit. And I don't mean some weird thing about, you know, being baptized in the spirit and then acting like a weirdo. Okay? I'm baptized in the spirit and speaking tongues. Baptized in the Spirit and prophesy, right? You know, I promote all of these things, promote the use of the gifts. But the idea of the Spirit of things, right? Um, you know, there are certain behaviors of certain people that you just sort of know, ah, that doesn't line up, right? I can't ever imagine seeing Mr. Rogers knock somebody out you know what i'm saying it just it's an oxymoronical sort of idea mutually exclusive knocking someone out in my mind is not the spirit of 
Mr. Rogers. Okay? Spirit of Christ, right? There are people who have the truth who conduct themselves in ways that don't seem to line up with the Spirit of Christ. They're, they're hard about the truth, but they don't seem to have the Spirit of Christ. You know, lots of different websites and ministries that are, you know, what they are now calling discerning ministries. And what they've discerned is everyone else's faults. And they're the ones that are right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, even if, you know, they've discovered there's something that's to be corrected in another ministry, I would much rather appreciate the approach of saying, you know, more accurate way of viewing this would be perhaps like this or that, rather than just, you know what, we've looked at this person's teaching and we've discovered that they are in fact a heretic and they're headed to hell and anyone who follows their ministry is clearly an unsaved person. So, you know, if you went to their uh, crusade anywhere in the world from 1978 to, you know, 19-whenever, uh, you're not a real Christian, so you probably ought to, you know, get in touch with us and we'll tell you the real way and just, you know, their discernment ministry has decided who is and who is not legitimate and who is and who is not a real Christian, and who is and who is not. I don't hear the spirit of Christ in that at all. You know, guidance, correction, uh, love, insightfulness. Yeah, we want, need all of that stuff. The body of Christ needs that. The attack and the self-righteousness is really quite strange. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. If you know Jesus Christ, and, and I mean that, it's possible. If you know Jesus Christ, you're going to hear certain things and think, eh, that's not of the Spirit of Christ. <laughs> doesn't line up. doesn't make sense. That isn't the Jesus I know. Jesus wouldn't behave or conduct themselves in that way. In regard to Paul's work in the life of the Christians in Corinth, He's saying, you know my credentials, you're living them out. That's the spirit of the letter. You know, you extract the spirit from the letter, and what you've got is death. You need to have the proper combination. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death written engraved on stones was glorious. So now we're talking about the tablets, okay, uh, the Ten Commandments. The ministry of death engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious for the ministry of condemnation had glory, right? The, the, the law condemns those who try to live by it. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels for if what is passing away was glorious what remains is more glorious first miracle performed by jesus christ wedding it came changes water to wine the summary as given by the master of ceremonies who says what you've produced in the end is better than what you produced in the beginning. The law, while it was glorious, 
produced death. Jesus Christ's death in the new covenant was more glorious in that it produced life. These Jews have come from Jerusalem and they're trying to sweep Paul and his influence out of the church at Corinth and take the people back to the law. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The spirit of Jesus Christ working produces life. The law produces death. Let's not go back to the law. That was the inferior. We now have the superior, right? Moses comes down from the mountain. Yes, it was glorious that he was in the presence of the Lord, and the glory could physically be seen upon him, but it was fading away. The same way that that glory began fading right there with the production of those tablets, and it continued to fade all the way to the arrival of Jesus Christ. And then, with Jesus Christ, his glory was revealed Right on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it has not, you know, stopped or been diminished. Greater and greater and greater revelation will continue until He reveals Himself by emerging through the clouds and calling us into His presence. You know, Paul is saying, "Look, the whole of this thing <clears throat> tapered down to one point where the taper down of the law met the uprising of Christ." You know, the literally the ascension out of the grave, uh, back to the earth to minister for 40 days, and then the ascension to the right hand of the Father, and then we will proceed with him. The glory will grow in the process. You know, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. Therefore, in light of all of this, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And listen, it is not liberalism like being taught today. This liberty that's being talked about is the freedom from sin. It's not the freedom to sin. There is a law that hung over every single one of us that before Christ gave us vision, illuminated us, delivered us from the condemnation of the law. It hung over us and made us sin. Every day that we woke up, it commanded of us obedience to its sinfulness. Christ has delivered us from that. That's the liberty being spoken of here. Liberty from sin, not to sin. And there's a bunch of false teachers in the body of Christ that are teaching people, no, 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 just go ahead. Continue on in your sin. The liberty of Christ will allow you to do that. You have liberty to sin. Whether they're saying that directly or indirectly, it's still false. We, we have been liberated from sin. 
right? All of the hippies in the 60s. My father, growing up, forbid us, my two older brothers and myself, from ever using the peace sign. Because that was a symbol of the hippies. It started for him in Korea when they were having victory over their enemies. And they did that through blood, sweat, tears, and death. And the men who gained victory had the right to hold up that sign. Right? Christ gave us victory and liberty. You know, and now all these people just throwing up, you know, the peace sign. So often, this is actually a sign of surrender, right? Giving into the world, being conquered by the world, going the way of the world. You know, if you hold that up in victory in Christ, if you have the idea of being liberated, right? That, that you see all those people, World War II in the photographs, in Paris, France, and otherwise, holding up. You know, the, the V, it's not a peace sign for them. That's victory. Our enemies have been conquered. We've been delivered from the thing that held us captive. Liberty has been given to us through death. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself in order to give us this liberty from sin, not to live in sin. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, right? I dwell on that a little bit, don't I? The way things are backwards for us, right? You want to live, you've got to die. You want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least. You know, things are in reverse in our God's kingdom right now. Currently, they're like in a mirror. We, we see it you know, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord as being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God is delivering us. He's liberating us from the things that held us captive. And that's Paul, you know, draw back to the beginning of this chapter. That's the credentials that Paul has in these people's lives. The victory that Christ is producing. I ain't got no piece of paper, Paul is saying. I got no letter from anybody you know, giving me commendation to you. What I have is I delivered Christ's life into your life, and it's producing in you liberty and life and fruitfulness. That's the evidence that what I'm doing is real and ordained by God. Oh, that the church would understand that today, that, that those are the credentials we want to look for in the ministries we want to get involved with. Make sense? Amen. So we'll pick up with chapter 4 next week. Will you stand with me and we'll pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your work in our lives and ask that you would minister to us and minister through us. Help us to take your message into the world that's so desperately in need of you. We're grateful for the work you've done in our hearts, our minds, our lives, our conduct. We ask that you would continue, that you would accomplish what you want to in each of us and with each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.